0: You are, you are now tuned in, in to the December Twenty Sixer Podcast, podcast where, we where we encourage you to you be, extraordinary, to be extraordinary, extraordinary on an ordinary, on an ordinary day. day. Hey 26er family, welcome to the December 26er Podcast. I am your host, Delicia, and this episode features Jamar Nolan. Jamar is an independent hip hop artist, songwriter, and music entrepreneur. Growing up in Georgia, Jamar took an early interest in music, and by the time he graduated from high school, he knew college was not for him. Instead, he threw himself into his music career full-time, but his sound didn't quite match what was popular in the South at the time. Yet, he forged ahead, doing showcases and trying to get coverage where he could. He also launched Fresh and Local Radio, a podcast highlighting other independent creatives who were carving out their own niche in the hip hop market. And this was at a time when podcasts weren't even all that popular. It was also around this time that Jamar was introduced to the world of sync licensing, that is placement of music in TV and film. His first song was placed in a UFC video, and he would soon realize that royalties from sync licensing could be more lucrative than his other endeavors. Since that time, Jamar has had dozens of major song placements, everywhere from reality TV shows on MTV and VH1 to Hulu's hit limited series, Little Fires Everywhere. He's also flexed his muscle as a songwriter And partnered with Fiverr.com to create a discussion series known as the Songwriters Social Club to provide independent artists with valuable information about the music business. Much of the acumen Jamar has accumulated has been through his own research and professional journey, but he doesn't keep it to himself. Jamar is firmly committed to knowledge sharing and facilitating economic growth within the independent entertainment ecosystem. So much so that in 2021, he released two volumes of his book series, The Pen Game Portfolio, which provides music creators with insight into monetizing and protecting their intellectual property. And despite having given so much, he's nowhere near done creating or educating. So without further ado, here's his story. Jamar, welcome to the December 26th podcast. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. How about yourself?
0: I am awesome. It's always good to, you know, have creatives on the show, and you know, sometimes we get on a run of a lot of corporate folks, um, and it's great when we can balance that out with uh, the folks who are are moving and shaking in creative industries as well. So I'm very excited to talk to you today.
1: Absolutely. Likewise, I just appreciate the platform and being able to speak to you.
0: Of course. So let's jump into it. Who is Jamar Nolan? Um.
1: I think the easy way to to answer it in in a compact form is uh, a hip hop artist, songwriter and music entrepreneur. That's like the easiest way to sum it up. There's a lot that goes on in all those different parts. But I think those three titles work pretty well.
0: So that those are three very different corners of creative industry. Um, But but generally people who tell me that they work in those types of fields, most of the time have discovered their creative prowess very early. So what were the origins of your interest in music?
1: Oh um I was I couldn't even tell you like when I was introduced to music. It was just always around. But I know my earliest memories were um I was probably about three years old. And just for context, uh this was when like crisscross was like out and I was seeing kids, of course they weren't my age, but they kind of still reminded me of myself. So I was like really excited every time I saw them come on TV. Like I used to want to wear my clothes backwards and, you know, that whole thing. So that and like MC Hammer and all of that type of stuff, you know, it was like feel good hip hop that was digestible for kids. So that was like the earliest memory I have. But moving forward, when I was about eight years old, uh, my older brother, who's five years older than me, he was already getting involved with creating music and rapping. And he had started his own group. And you know, based on my position, like between my dad and my big brother, like those were my guys. Like I tried to walk in like them, talk like them, act like them, the whole thing. So uh when he kind of challenged me to like write my first rhyme or whatever, I kind of got bit by the bug ever since, especially since he encouraged me. He didn't like say, oh man, that sucks. And and then I was just like, dang, okay, you that, you asked me to do it. <laughs> you know, so when he told me it was good, I kind of like kept trying to achieve that same level of like affirmation from my big brother. Then once I got into about middle school, this is uh, like 106 in part, Freestyle Friday era. Like that's when I really started like consistently writing my own songs and like really studying the ins and outs of like the creativity of music and like understanding like how artists put their lyrics together and the patterns and the poetry of it and that's when all of like the i guess I would call it the obsession phase came in.
0: So you mentioned your brother but also your dad and wanted to be so much like them. What was your relationship like with your parents in terms of just how you were raised? Was that creativity encouraged? Was were you encouraged to really like actually pursue this um as a as a potential career as well?
1: Um I was encouraged uh so I think the dynamic between Mom and dad is a little different, right? So with my mother, she always knew that I had a knack for like literature and I think she always saw that my interest in music and words was, you know, compacted into my interest in literature. So she was always like education, do that and my dad was more free flowing. So when he saw me taking interest in music, he was the one that was really like encouraging it and like I did my first little tapes on a, a boombox recorder thing and he used to play it in his car he used to play it like it was a new Tupac album or something you know so I, he would play it for his friends and he would let folks borrow it they give it back to him and I'm like hey like I'm I'm sounding like somebody out here so so that was the interesting dynamic but with being in school trying to do it um my mother and I had an agreement because I lived with my mom I went to my dad's on weekends. So basically uh, as long as I was able to maintain my grades, stay out of trouble, then I didn't have anything standing in my way from creating music with my friends. But if ever I like slacked off or I was having an issue, it was like, I knew that was going to be the first thing to get cut off. If it wasn't the video games, it was going to be that, you know? So, um, so I think it was a pretty good balance. Now, once I got to like that 17, 18 range. Like I knew that's what I wanted to do period. And I think, um, unfortunately nobody knew, especially at that time, we're talking about 2007 that, you know, what, what, what are we going to do with this kid? Like, uh, because we don't have any connections to the industry to like get them to around people that can guide me, you know? So I had to kind of like try to figure things out on my own. But what I will say is that, um, they still encouraged me. They never deterred me from it. They never talked down on my dream or tried to make it seem like it was unattainable. Even if I was going through rough patches, they still allowed me kind of like the ability to explore it.
0: And I think it's a couple of things that are important to highlight here. You know, you hear these stories of a parent who is big on education, which should happen, right? That That's right. A, a great thing. But sometimes they may really prohibit their children from pursuing the creative piece as well, as opposed right. to offering conditions in the way that your mom did to say, Okay, you can do this so long as this piece is taken care of. I think that's an important lesson for parents, as well as I'm glad you highlighted that your parents were not together, but you had a relationship with both and your dad was incredibly supportive. And I I think, you know, we hear all these stories of like I was raised in a single parent home and, you know, it's a a different narrative. And that narrative may be a reality for many of us. But to also highlight that parents can effectively raise children and not be together. And both of those parents can be supportive, even if they are sharing custody. I think that's an important thing uh, to shine a light on for sure. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, once I was like of age, I actually went with my dad for a while because, um, you know, mom was going through a little rough patch at the time. And just based on what I wanted to do, she was like, I think you'll be better suited, like with him for a while, you know, and um, when, once I went with him, it was kind of like, now the, the, now the, uh, the figuring out of what this is actually going to be, like really came to be, you know what I mean? Because, uh, for a couple of years, he kind of let me roam. Like he wasn't tripping about a job. Like I'm so thankful today. You know, I didn't really understand it back then, like how, how, uh, privileged I was that he wasn't like on my back. But, um, after a while it was, like, Hey man, what's going on? Like, You know, I love you. I love your music. I love everything you're doing. But you're going to have to figure some things out just to survive in the meantime, because we don't know when this thing is going to pick up for you. So but um, all of that is to say that, you know, being that I did have a certain amount of time to, like, dedicate everything towards it, I do feel like I was able to learn a lot that has actually helped me in recent years, because um, what I had to do when I was younger was, do a lot of research, even though I wasn't even, I didn't even know how to apply a lot of the research that I was doing. um, Today, a lot of that stuff helps me because I now can process, okay, I do remember reading this years ago. I do remember that. I do remember all of these different things. And now I'm in a position to actually uh, put them into practice. And so where were you geographically at this time? Geographically, I was in the Atlanta area. I was actually living in a town called uh, Snellville, which is like maybe about 20 minutes outside of atlanta
0: so with that being said you know at that time period atlanta was already becoming its own music epicenter and you could actually say it was one already if you're you're talking about that period so what was that like for you being so geographically close to an Mm -hmm. area that's just buzzing right and like super producers are now they've they've staked their claim rappers have staked their claim And you're there, but not there. How did that sort of rest on your spirit and trying to find an
1: end? Um, It was tough uh, because for me, uh, just to give a little history, even though I was in Atlanta, I was always like heavily inspired by like the East Coast because I was born in Connecticut. And my brother was he's always lived in Connecticut. So I always kind of like mimicked that flavor to a degree. And being at Atlanta was such a powerhouse at that time. It was like coming out of the crunk movement, going into the snap movement, going into the, uh, you know, swag surfing and all that type of stuff. That wasn't really me. So when I did find myself like entering the scene and going out and trying to like become affiliated in some sort of fashion, it was kind of like, yeah, you're nice, but that's not what we're looking for. You know, so I had to deal with that and then like doing showcases and feeling like, you know, certain people were getting a preferential treatment because they kind of fit the mold. And I still had to like break through that and had to, you know, eventually I had to start creating my own platforms just to uh, try to even the playing field. And like early within, uh, I would say in 2013 is when I really started putting together like this avenue of becoming a resource for people like me because I saw that I wasn't the only one being faced with it. There's so much diverse talent in the city of Atlanta, but there seems to only be like one archetype that gets pushed to the masses. So I had to adapt.
0: So thinking back to this time and your your dad has given you this space to really explore and try to get your foot in the door and build a foundation. Mm-hmm. So did you forego
1: school altogether after high school? Absolutely. I, I, I had no interest. <laughs> I was just like, man, I'm just gonna have to, I'm gonna just have to bump my head and, and fall on something, cause I, cause I just knew, like, from from my perspective, it was like, okay, I could go to like a full sale or a SAE or one of these, you know, places where it's music focused, but it's really kind of geared towards like the technological aspect of it which I wasn't really trying to be an engineer or anything like that so at the time I didn't see the benefit of doing that especially for the price and then there was like uh, on the other side of it from a a vocalist standpoint there's like your Berkeley and stuff like that but even at that time with Berkeley there was no distinction for like hip-hop it was more so like classical uh, and all of that type of stuff so I'm like I just no matter where I looked, I just couldn't really find a space that was unique for myself that I could be like, oh, I see myself in this space. So I just was kind of like, you know, and my mother definitely did like it. You know, she's like, man, come on. You're too, you're too bright. You're too bright. What are you doing? And I'm like, I just don't see where I fit. And I would rather just take my chances. So, you know, that was always a thing.
0: So you have foregone school, living with your, your dad trying yeah. to get on. People are not even understanding who you are as an artist because the style is so different. Right. Um, but you, you had the foresight to know I can be a resource to others because I'm learning through what I'm researching and what I'm, I'm facing. So what did that look like in those early years of offering resources to others based on the, the acumen that you were developing?
1: So the early years was uh, creating a podcast. Um, it was called Fresh and Local Radio, and basically, I knew that there was a whole scene—not just in Atlanta, but just on a national scale—of artists that were putting out a certain style or, or genre, or just like multiple styles and genres of music that weren't being uh, paid attention to at the same level as uh, the mainstream. And I knew that those people had voices and wanted to be heard just as much as I did, so. I just connected with them on a, on a just natural, I understand basis, you know? And we started like doing interviews and having people come to the studio and just share their stories. And it wasn't just exclusive to artists either. We were, we were interviewing like Entrepreneur City and uh, different people in those avenues as well. Because what I, what I came to understand is that although um, I was doing this from the side of music, There's a lot of people that are going through the same process in other creative areas, you know, especially becoming entrepreneurs. Like there's there's some pretty basic things that run through everything, but of course you have to still figure out your own unique path. You have to form your own relationships and that looks different for everyone. But I just wanted to give people a platform to tell those stories and it actually helped in the long run because those same people, I may I may not have even really known them, but being that I did offer them the opportunity to tell their story, um, it was like they always would come back around with some sort of opportunity that could help me as well. So you you have this this podcast. And what year was this? Uh, Fresh and Local Podcast. I think that started in 20... It was either 2013 or 2014. So this was like when the word podcast was like even invented. People were still trying to figure out what that was.
0: Right. So that's why I asked when, because, you know... Now everybody has a podcast that the the barriers to entry are very low. You know, you grab a mic, you get a guest, you make it work. But back then it it was really like, people didn't understand it. People knew maybe like blog talk radio, but you know, they weren't clear on on really what it was. So what prompted you to think that this is a good idea to build my network and to get the word out there?
1: Like what drove you Um, with something that wasn't really known yet? So I I attribute that to my friends. Um, So I did have friends that actually went to like the Institute and what they had was access to the studio. And I think my friend, Greg, he met somebody that at that time was actually trying to start a podcast network. And the plan was for us to start this podcast and to join their network. And it was going to be like a way to kind of get in that field, you know what I mean? Because the person that was starting it, I think was like a professor at the school. And um but the funny part was once we started it, it didn't happen like that, you know. <laughs> so it was like we were on our own. But once we started it, it was like, well we might as well continue. Like because they weren't gonna be like funneling guests or anything anyway. It was just the fact that we were going to be creating it and passing it off to them and they were going to do the promotion kind of like like I, I really give a lot of credit to that person. I don't even remember the lady's name, but you know, now when I see like Charlemagne with his uh, podcast network, like that stuff, that's become uh, something in the last couple of years. But in 2013, for them to like come up with this idea to have that was also foreign. Like just a podcast alone was foreign. But for them to already be looking at doing a network for it was also very uh, ahead of the time. So of so, planted a seed.
0: So you have this seed planted you're working on the show. But back then, like monetization wasn't even a thing. So how are you managing with the support of your father? But how are you managing, like being able to get money in some way or another?
1: Uh, So what I was doing was I was still releasing music. And at the time, uh, iTunes was the primary way that people were consuming music. So I could I I was I was dropping probably like six projects a year. just to keep money coming in. Like, I'm a, all right, y'all bought that one. All right. I'm going to drive another one in two months. So that's how I was able to like keep some sort of money coming in. And 2013 is actually the year that I got introduced to sync licensing and sync licensing is for those that may not know is where you create music that then gets played in audio visual components, such as TV and film. And that pays royalties, which I did not understand, but somebody that was a fan of my music just was like, yo, I I really enjoy what you're doing. And I think I have an opportunity that could help you. So um, he linked me up with uh, his producer. So shout out to uh, Joseph Parker. He he linked me up with a producer by the name of soul plus mine. And we worked on some tracks and our first placement came by way of UFC. And it was uh, this pay-per-view match and The fighter was basically describing his uh, inspiration for trying to win the fight. His brother had recently passed and my song was the soundtrack of him like giving this heartfelt speech, you know. So um, that was really cool. Number one, just to see that my music was on TV. Like I went from putting out music on iTunes for like my friends and family to now I have a song on TV that people are hearing. And then number two. It was the fact that we got paid like an upfront fee for it. I think me and the producer split like a thousand dollars. And then, you know, maybe six to eight months later, we actually started seeing royalties, which was pretty much the equivalent of being paid that same amount all over again. You know? So I'm like, okay, now I'm able to see like, okay, there's money in, in music that I didn't know about because coming from that time frame, a lot of artists were releasing like free mixtapes and stuff like that. So there was still, this avenue of like trying to figure out how to even monetize on music if you don't have a record deal like how do you make anything from music um so that was once i got my first taste of that i was like yeah i'm gonna lean into that
0: (laughs) so how did you build off of this one opportunity into what has become a very lucrative career in terms of placements um on Mm -hmm. television and streaming
1: Um, so once we got that first placement, I just went back to soul plus mine. And I was like, man, like whatever we just did, like, how do we, how do we keep that going? And he was like, well, uh, being that he had already been doing this, it was regular to him. Like for me, it was exciting, but to him, it was like, yeah, this happens all the time. So, uh, he was like, just keep make, making music with me. He had all the connections. So like once we created the music, I knew it was a 50-50 split between myself and him. And he had access to these different agencies and catalogs that were actually just going to go out and basically do the work for us. Like once we once we completed the music, I didn't even have to touch it. So that was also very appealing to me because I had been spending so much time on like, social media and at the time it was like twitter and just tweeting out links like relentlessly right and just like sending emails out to blogs and now i'm like i don't even gotta irritate people to get my music heard and then get paid for it like i I gotta really pay attention to this so um i think 2014 we got some more placements um and for the first couple of years like i just kept working with soul plus mine and like kind of letting his relationships make things happen for us. But then I would say around 2017, 2018, uh, we got a placement in this movie called uh, 1155. So it was like, that was a benchmark that I was trying to reach. Like we had gotten in like Love and Hip Hop and like Black Ink Crew early on and stuff like that. And a bunch of other like shows that people may not even remember, like uh, MTV True Life and, uh, there was another show called MTV Snack Off that I, I think that was only around for maybe one or two seasons. But then it's like, OK, how can I get a movie? Like, oh, that's what I really want. I want like people to really see this. And once we did that, I was able to like check that off my list. I was like, I got to take this a lot more seriously because, yeah, I'm getting some money off of it, but I'm still working. I'm still uh, trying to find a way to make this a full time thing. Um. And it didn't come overnight. It was definitely not an easy process, but I just started paying a lot more attention to what that business actually was, because for a a while it was just like just recording. But there's there's a lot more that goes into that, like knowing how to pitch songs, knowing who to reach out to. Um, And there's so many companies out there that you can work with, whether it be on an exclusive basis, non-exclusive basis, like the whole contract structure and all of that. So I had, it was still a lot for me to learn.
0: So when you think about this, right, in hindsight, you may think, oh, a thousand dollars split between two people, it's not a lot of money. Right? right. And and before you realize like the, the royalty piece, but also the years are rolling by. These are things that I, I call them mile markers. There are things that are meant to show you that you're on the right path, right. You may not feel like you haven't arrived yet, just giving you the cue that you're moving in, in in the right direction. However, there are like some realities with that in that you, you have, you know, your father who supported you, but we all know that like male to male relationship, especially if you have, you know, a father who's old school, like it's one thing to collect $500 or some royalties off iTunes. It's another thing to be able to sustain yourself. Right. So you have that, right. Um, or you actually say you may have had that, and then also you may have had people that you knew from teenage years who took a more traditional path who are building every year year on year financially financial stability right. whatever so were either of those two things sort of in your mind or weighing on you even though you are getting traction and making some progress because you mentioned that you still had to work and it wasn't the
1: main thing Absol- Absolutely so um yeah cuz like i had to I, I, I had to start working, you know. At first, I wasn't, and um, so I remember I took got to the really deep dive. I was working at Pizza Hut, you know what I mean, and just like trying to make it work because
0: I, not I, Pizza I, Hut with, I, the, was, was with the, the the I personal pan, not nah, yeah. the personal pan pizza. I didn't realize Pizza Hut was still around by that time, but okay. <laughs> oh yeah,
1: stretching the dough like I was, I was literally like making the pizzas. So um, that was like my first way of like, okay, this is real life. Like I gotta do this and I still have to like maintain whatever it is that I've built, you know, and and grow on it. Because although not everybody sees it or understands it, I know that this can be something. Like I know I wasn't given this talent for no reason. So um but yeah it was tough. But what I will say is during that time when I was working at Pizza Hut, I had a very, very, very gracious manager that he had musical dreams of his own and he put them off to the side and he saw in myself himself, you know? So, uh, I was still able to like take days off and sometimes I would have to like travel and do like these shows and a lot of them weren't even paid, but it was just like to get in front of people. And he never gave me issues because a lot of times in those, those types of jobs, you know, the the turnover rate, the the call outs, all of that type of stuff, is kinda like taking days off ain't really gonna help you, especially because they're unpaid days, right? But um he always looked out anytime I needed to like do something, if especially if it was music related. Cause he's like, dude, like eventually I I let him hear my music. Cause at first I kept it like a secret. I didn't want nobody asking me no questions. And once he heard it, he was like, Man, I don't know what you got to do, but you got to get up out of here. You know what I mean? Like ain't no way you can achieve your dream staying up in here with us. So I really attest a lot of of what I was able to accomplish, like was with having that flexibility. Like he never was like just trying to keep me restricted. That is something that happens to a lot of people. You either have to like, uh, just find a better job or just quit. You know what I mean? But I didn't have to do that. So you're working at Pizza Hut, but
0: With someone who really believes in you and understands what you're trying to do. So giving you flexibility, you are creating opportunities or getting opportunities within the sync licensing space and also performing as well. And
1: in addition to those. And at that time, I wasn't living. Yeah. And at that time, I'm not living with my dad anymore. It's like me and my best friend have become like roommates or whatever. So, yeah. So it was tight but I was able to like still pay my bills and stuff like that. So I think that really helped like for me to kind of get pushed out there to like have to maintain levels of responsibility to like, know, okay, what do I need to survive? And what do I need to like continue doing this at the same time? Like, because if I can't survive now, then of course that's going to come up short in order for me to like, just maintain this household and like eating and not like, just being completely run down. So I had to like start formulating like, okay, what am I willing to like not have on a, on a financial basis? Like, because I still need a majority of my, my income if if possible to like take care of the bills, but I still need to invest into myself. I still need to be able to, if I do have to travel, I, I got to pay for it myself. So I just had to like get really strategic about everything. Like, and, and like what you brought up with my friends and people that were kind of like building and doing other things and their income is increasing. They're not thinking the same way because they like, Hey man, I'm, I'm making a little bit more money. I got the car. I'm about to get this place and I'm hanging. A lot of people was hanging out and my social life just was like, not there. Like if I wasn't at an event that I was booked or had my name on, I wasn't hanging out with nobody. And I kind of keep that to this day, to a certain degree. But, um, just to completely answer your question, like, uh, yeah, I I had to like get very strategic about like, just waking up and like, okay, these are the things that I got to take care of every day. I got to make sure I'm on top of it. I started like creating (laughs) a different account. Um, so I had like my checking account. I had my PayPal account where I had money coming in. I had another account where I was just like keeping money. I had cash that I was like using very sparingly and still like intertwining like, okay, if one account gets low, I'm going to put this money, this cash I got into the bank and transfer it here. So I started having to get really conscious about uh, where my money was going and how it was coming in and going out. And although I wasn't making a lot, I was able to maintain a lot of organization with it.
0: And I'm glad you brought this up because I think there's this misconception that a lot of people who are creative, all they think about is the art, right? And it's like, all I want to do is create. And if that means I have to eat peanut butter and jelly and I'm like in a, pl- a home with no bed, like it doesn't matter. And i just, I'm waiting for the checks to come. and Part of sustainability, right, you got to create. If that's who you say you are, creative, you have to create. But part of being able to sustain yourself is having some level of discipline, not just about the creativity, but about the very real realities of just adulting. And it's it's finding a way to make it work. And making it work may mean multiple streams of income and moving money around and doing all those things. And I think it's important to, to highlight that because we we get these like narratives that makes it seem like people are just locked in a room and all they do is create and eat a cup of noodles when that's not everybody's reality. Like some people are still paying rent and doing all those things and figuring out from a financial perspective, like what is my baseline and how do I get to that baseline if I'm not going to go the traditional path and get a nine to five or somewhere where like I have to make these shifts. Right. So, um, you know, it's it's important to highlight that it's doable. It's not easy, but it's For doable. For sure.
1: And I want to add on, like, to the noodle thing. <laughs> I, I I taught myself how to cook. I wasn't about to go out like that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I, I started, I've, I've always been, like, a big fan of, like, the Food Network. So, and this was, like, even back when, during that time where I wasn't working, that's all I used to really watch was the Food Network. So it wasn't like I was just at home, like, just being a fluke or whatever. So it's like, I it came in handy cause it's like all these 30 minute meals, they do like these shows where it's like how to feed a family under $20 and all of this type of stuff. So all of that became how I was living because I'm like, I remember seeing this stuff and it's like, it don't take a lot. So even though I wasn't bringing in a lot of money, I knew like, I, I could as long as I got like some, some uh, spaghetti, I can get some meat. I can get some chicken. I can, you know what I mean? And I'm starting to teach myself how to make sauces and doing like, I remember I ventured off into like doing uh, these different like types of bean soups and things that people really eat. And some people, you know, make uh, diets of them. You know what I mean? So I was really like becoming aware of, of a lot of different things to like, even though I'm not in the best position, I'm still going to enjoy life. I'm still going to like I'm not about to just rhyme and noodle myself to death.
0: <laughs> All that MSG and sodium. Yes, I, I, I concur on that point. That's not the way. <laughs> um. So you mentioned traveling for these showcases and stuff, yeah. but like thinking about the fact that you weren't really embraced, even though you had the digital element happening um, through iTunes or what have you, did you ever consider relocating?
1: You said, did I ever relocate? Did you ever consider relocating? Oh, consider it? Uh, No. I didn't. Uh, I saw how that played out for certain people that were like in the scene. A lot of people had like opportunities come and it seemed like the grass was greener on the other side. And then a lot of them ended up right back at home, you know. So it was like, I don't know if I need to relocate. Like, I think uh, and I think a lot of that was based on the fact that I did have so much kind of uh, attention on the digital side of things. Because I've seen the shift, like I'm like, I'm, I'm getting way more uh, response from people I've never met in my life online than even in my own community. So I got to be able to, to grow on that. I mean, I had a project in uh, 2010 and this is like early, early that it was called Broken Dreams and it literally got more traction in foreign countries. Than it did in America, and it was a free project. But it was just like I was able to look at the analytics at that time, and I started seeing the people that were sending me emails and stuff. And I'm like, "How the heck did somebody in Berlin get this? Like, how? The, what is like?" So I really, once I saw that, like, I'm always I've always been a person that once I see like a sign of something that's like different outside of the scope of what I'm used to, I really try to decode how that happened and what made that happen and who were the, if any, the middleman or people that like facilitated for that to be there. So if it was a blog in another country or uh, somebody tweeted about it, I'm like trying to find that person. And, you know, like, how can I duplicate this? Like, that's like the main thing, like anything that seemed different to me. It's like, okay, that's cool. I like that. Now, how do I keep that going? Because I don't want to want this to be just, just be a one time thing. And I can't I can't scale that in any kind of way.
0: So that's actually a great segue. Uh, What I want to talk about is you, you mentioned finding something that's working that you may not have thought about and leaning into that. A lot of folks who have multiple talents in the way that you do, but are in the artist lane, their focus is really getting on a here where they are in the U.S. and wanting to become a household name and like wanting that fame no matter what, even if there are ways to be successful but you're a bit behind the scenes, right? Everybody doesn't doesn't know you. Uh, there are people who have that temperament, like the money's cool, leaning into this other thing over here, sync, licensing, et cetera, is great. But like, I want to be an artist. I want to sell out stadiums. Did you ever have that feeling internally while also leaning into these other lanes and opportunities?
1: Uh, absolutely. You know, uh, just growing up, like I said, I had the the connection to like, especially the East Coast. So I'm looking at the Jay-Zs of the world and I'm like, I would love to be on that level. Like, you know, I used to have a friend named James who used to ask me like, what do you really want out of music? And I'm just like, I just want to go as far as I can go. Whatever that looks like, I just want to go as far as I can. And um, there was times of like disappointment, of course, because I still don't feel like I got everything out of it that I put into it you know, especially for, for the amount of effort that it takes just to achieve anything in this field. It's like, you got to put in 10,000 hours. People talk about 10,000 hours. It really is like you put in 10,000 hours just to get to level two, you know, and then you got to keep recreating that just to continue to keep advancing. So, um, although licensing was something that I leaned into, I, I did also have to deal with like, You know, the the moments of comparison, uh, then you see like certain people that just pop up and it feels like, well, how did they do that? You know, especially when you know how things work. It's like, I know this person didn't just pop up. So what did they do? That's where I I just always try to reverse engineer everything. Like, even if I can't replicate what this person did, I still want to know the roadmap of what they what they did to achieve it, because there's all there's always some intersectionality between your journey and that other person's and it may not look the same but there may be a certain strategy or mentality that they used that allowed them to get to that point so I've always just been into like dissecting that so although there is a level of man I want to I want to get to this it's still like okay well let me learn from this let me learn from what's going on because even if I don't do the same thing this person did. I know I can, I still have more growth that I can do. And that's basically been uh, what I adopted, especially over the last like three or four years. Like I don't really care about like the mainstream success and commercial accolades and all of that type of stuff. If it comes, it's great. And I know I've worked for it, but it's not on the top of my list anymore. So, you know, we, we, we talked
0: about uh, being an artist, a hip hop artist, we're going to get more into being a music entrepreneur for sure, because there is more to your brand than what we've discussed there. Um, but the songwriting piece, how did you get into, to writing for other people?
1: Okay. So, uh, 2018, uh, an artist that was in the Atlanta community, we were performing at a lot of the same shows. We had a lot of the same relationships um, I seen him make this post talking about how he had quit driving Uber and was just like writing these songs for people on his website called Fiverr, and I was like, hold on, he quit? Like, so he just doing that? And I'm like, all right, bet. And then maybe a few days later, like it was like a rollout for him. Like he, the first day he talked about how he was able to quit his job, and then a couple of days later, he talked about how he had quit uh, writing songs for people too so he had got whatever he wanted out of it you know whatever that was but for me that was an opening it was like all right we're comparably talented so he's already been able to do that but now he's leaving a void because he doesn't want to do it anymore so let me go sign up and whatever clientele is going to look for him they're going to find me so that is absolutely like how I got into like writing songs for other people and I just kind of used um Once I got into that, because it took about a year before it became a frequent thing, because, of course, Fiverr is a whole uh, freelance world within itself. And you have to kind of like it's a rating system and you get ranked by how much work you complete and how much work you're completing in a certain amount of time to where people even find you. So in the beginning, it was just about trying to knock every opportunity out the park to where I got a five star rating so that more people could see, okay. all right, he's not just some brand new account that I can't trust. And I started out charging like very low. I still don't charge like crazy amounts, but started out low just to like start getting people in and then gradually like raising the prices like when people are asleep kind of thing. (laughs) Which is
0: interesting. You know, I've been on the Fiverr game ever since Fiverr literally was $5, right? People don't even remember when Fiverr first came out the fee for everything was actually $5. And yep. then it expanded and people started offering premium services and you could really find experienced, really skilled talent on there and the rate was uh what it was. I got to say I did not know that people were promoting songwriting uh on, on Fiverr <laughs> even as an avid user and I continue to be I did not know that that was a thing.
1: Absolutely. So, it's so become how... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was about to say, um, it's become uh, very popular. Like, if you just put in songwriting on, on Fiverr now, you're going to get hundreds of results of people that are doing it. But I remember when I first got on there, it was still a foreign thing. Like, it was like Cam James had just left. I've seen a couple people. Like, there there may have been, like, vocalists on there, but I definitely didn't see any other rappers.
0: So thinking about this, I'm putting my lawyer hat on, my day job hat. You got your hands in so many different things. How were you shoring up in these areas that you're getting your recognition, you're getting the royalties you deserve and all those things? Like what was the black and white looking like
1: at this time? The black and white was great. I'm gonna tell you that straight up. <laughs> <laughs> so, and this is, this is very important. I'm glad you asked this question. And um, because what I found was that now that I'm on Fiverr, and for a minute, I didn't even know what I was supposed to be getting. You know what I mean? It was just like upfront money. And after a while, I did kind of understand that publishing and stuff is supposed to be exchanged for that service like of songwriting for people. But then once you start asking for it and you realize these artists are just as uneducated about this process as I am. So now they're like, you trying to take advantage of me? like." No, like that's actually how this is supposed to go. So I say that to say that um, I made a, how can I put it? Calculated risk of just saying, you know what? I'm willing to forego the royalties. Because once I really like got immersed into like the the numbers of like 99% of artists fail, it's like, even if I do get a percentage off of the majority of this stuff, I'm still not going to get a penny off of it. So I just kind of leaned into that, like I'm going to use this as a way to like build a, a consistent realm of income. But I'm going to use the credentials of being a songwriter to now leverage that into like how I promote myself so that now if you're not coming to me on Fiverr, you're not going to get the same deal as Fiverr clients. You know, so it's like you got to come to me with a blueprint of what are the royalty splits. And so that's kind of uh the way I approached it, because I knew it was like once I had a few encounters with people, and it seemed like once I brought up publishing or royalties and things of that nature, it was like folks started disappearing. Mm. I was like, ah, Am I gonna worry about the back end of this, or am I gonna make sure that my rent is paid? Like, and that's kind of like what took precedence, and that's kind of why the music entrepreneur element of things became such a big focus for me and creating content because. I just started noticing how many artists don't really understand the business behind what it is that we love to do so much. And it's kind of like we're doing ourselves a disservice because we do put so much emphasis into the creative elements that the moving parts that really make everything happen. And we see the success of like all of these different people, the the Jay-Z's, the Diddy's, the, all of those folks, like they're not eating off of, you know, just being famous. Like they own a lot of what it is that you see them doing. So um, that became a large part of my whole movement was like making sure that any artists within my network, if you come in contact with me, you're going to learn something about how to uh, how the business of everything works, especially not even just from a collaboration standpoint, but just like we all want to get paid. But then there's the element of everyone needs to get paid in order for this thing to work. Like we can't be selfish. We can't be consumed in the eye of it because if all of us are eating, then we're able to feed each other. Mm -hmm. And to me, uh, what I think is important is I think that there's a big distinction between, you know, the commercial music and then there's the, the independent. And I think a lot of times the independent world gets seen as like a temporary space. But for a lot of people, it's not right you know but to me if it's if it's not a temporary space because there's nothing wrong with being independent but the the problem with independence is the unorganization the lack of information the lack of actual business practices the lack of like professionalism so all of those things to me were areas that I felt I could at least contribute to I can't say I can fill that space completely but I can contribute to it and if I can teach other people then they can pass that information along to the next group. And like I said, if we all are able to like, I don't care if it's $50 in constant circulation going from one hand to the next, that $50 is important. You know what I'm saying? Until until it increases and becomes, okay, everybody passed around the same $50 and it paid off a cell phone bill or something. But now, uh, now we've gotten enough people in this pool to where that $50 is now 500. And then it becomes a thousand. and go, So now it's like, all right, let's actually create a, an industry here. Let's create an economy within this uh, independent, up, upcoming artist space. But it only works if we all know what's going on.
0: So that's a great sort of entree into talking about the pen game portfolio. Tell me what that is and how it came to be.
1: Okay, so the Penguin Portfolio is an ebook. Well, it began as an ebook that I created. I wrote it in 2020, just as like, because 2020 was probably the year that I had like really just like gotten a lot of placements. Like it was just back to back, and they were like really big placements on shows that people culturally cared about. Like the Love and Hip Hop stuff and all of that was cool. People care about that show, but it's like fleeting entertainment. But then, like, I got this placement on Little Fires Everywhere on Hulu. And like, you know, that show was like something that was like highly critically acclaimed. And then um, I got this placement on um, Kevin Hart's Zero F's Given. And that was like the big, like everybody was like, oh, whoa, hold up. What's going on here? And people started inboxing me like, hey, bro, what are you doing? Like, I see that you've stepped into something. And it's like you're posting all the time about new placements and, royalties cuz i started like being like really transparent about like what stuff looked like like um the placements and who i was working with excuse me um then like uh when i made my first like probably 8000 off of um fiverr i put it out there mm. you know and it wasn't it wasn't a stunt it was just like yo it's uh it's a lane over here i don't know if y'all want to pay attention or not like but this is actually helping me pay off bills and like it was leading into me becoming a full-time artist. And 2020 is actually really important because at that time um, I was working at Lockheed Martin, but this whole Corona thing came in and, you know, they paid me for like a year and a half on furlough, not going to work. So Mm. now I was able to have all my free time. I had my bills kind of paid off of unemployment furlough. But then I was still doing all of this other stuff. So it was like now I was able to like really hone in on being a full time musician. So uh, once I was able to kind of get back to because my whole thing was like, I remember not working early on, but I didn't know what I was doing. I'm like, man, one day I'm going to have to get back to that freedom. I have to. And that kind of like provided the platform for me to do it. So. Then it was like, all right, now that I have this information, people are asking me questions. I did a, a event series called the Songwriter Social Club in 2019, where it was kind of like the same information in the pen game portfolio, but it was just like on a local level. Um, but then once uh, we went into like quarantine and started doing all these virtual events and stuff, I was like, how can I get this information out to people where I don't have to be in a room with them? So then. That's where the concept of like, okay, how do I even make an ebook? Like, I know that they're out there, but how do I create one? Um, and it had been so long since I had really written anything long form, anyway. Like, especially since I had, like decided not to go to college, so I I hadn't, I hadn't wrote nothing formal since since I was about eighteen. So um, that was a whole other uh, you know thing that I had to navigate. But that's basically the story of how the pain game portfolio came to be. It was just really like um, trying to show people like, although I'm not at the mainstream level, I'm not rich by any means. Um, I am at a point where if I keep on this rate, you know, I, I see, and I'm, I'm not the way I'm studying the space. It's like, you can become a very important public figure in this space and just like Create other businesses around it, so um, as I'm learning this stuff, I'm like trying to give the same thing back to other artists because i'm like I'm not so special that other people can't do these things like I'm not so incredibly smart it's just that I pay attention and I try to act on things while they're on my mind so um, a lot of creatives have an issue with like procrastination and um, having this uh kind of understanding that you're supposed to offload things to other people. Like so many artists say they want to find a manager. And the reason why they want to find a manager is because they just want to focus on the creative and they want to have a business mind to do everything else. But what I learned in 2020, once again, um, I actually entered a situation with a manager Mm. and that went terribly wrong. Uh, So much so that, you know, I had to, I, I had to go hire an attorney, to like get this guy off my back because we had entered this little shady contract and we were coming up on, um, I think the the year, the first year of our contract was like coming to an end and we were like having conversations about expectations and um, give me a, he, he asked me to give him a grade on like what he was doing. And most of the negative points on my grade for him was like, who he was as a person more so than his business sense. Cause I don't think he was dumb or anything like that or not able. His issue was communicating with people and just being like, really, you ever meet people that, that like, just are immovable on everything. Mm -hmm. He was one of those types of people. And at, at first it was a quality that I kind of appreciated because it's like, he stands on what he says And then over time, I was like, oh, my God, like this dude is alienating himself from everybody that I meet. Like it it became weird. Um, There was a a booking talent agent out here that was booking me for some stuff and they had like some side conversations about a project. And then he came and asked me like two weeks later, he was like, did she say anything bad about me? I'm like, well, why would she? (laughs) (laughs) Like, so now I got to start investigating like, well, what happened? Mm -hmm. You know? And he was managing this uh production duo that I was working with at the time as well. We were all working on this project and he cussed these boys out while we were um trying to put this project together. And I'm like, yo, he's not a, he's really not a good person. <laughs> so once I like, once that clicked and I was like, hey man, I don't think I wanna renew this situation going forward, he tried to uh be like, well, there's an I, I wanna exercise my option. Mm-hmm. In, the, in the contract to, to continue this business relationship. Or if you leave, I want to get, uh, basically whoever you go with, I want to continue to receive a certain percentage right. of everything y'all do together. So he tried to make it seem like he had this clause in the contract and, um, I had to go get somebody to like decode everything that I signed on to. And there was the language of the contract is what actually helped me out. Because although he tried to like put those things in there, it was written incorrectly. So we kind of were able to to handle that like outside of court and everything. Like once she put the pressure on him, he just was he just backed down. But um I say all that to say I was in the same position where I felt like I wanted to offload certain things. I don't even know why, because I've been I think because I've just been handling it for so long, it was like, man, I I wonder what I could accomplish if I didn't have to do all of this. But then Once I tried it with that specific person, it was like I pretty much did the same stuff that I've been doing with this person. You know what I mean? Like I didn't see any exponential growth or uh, benefits. I was in kind of in the same place. And and most of the uh, the bigger things that were coming were still coming off of my own relationships that I had prior to him. Mm. So I really so I really had to like look at all of those things. And I'm like, I really don't need this. Like, until I can meet somebody that can legitimately level me up based on their own work, it makes no sense for me to have nobody's hand in the pot, just taking a percentage of whatever I got going on. But to bring it back home, that's what I was seeing in a lot of artists as well. It's like, man, I need a manager. I need an agent. I need all of this stuff. And, you know, the big thing becomes because I always used to hear it myself and I didn't understand it. And people say, well, why do you need a manager if you don't got nothing to manage? <laughs> you know? and that concept gets missed by artists a lot of times because we we gauge everything on our own perspective of our talent and our potential. Right. But until you can actually start documenting growth, you really don't need anybody that's just going to take a percentage of nothing. Like you get it just makes absolutely no sense. And that's why it was so important for me to like start informing people like, yo, you can do things yourself. Like, I'm not saying you got to do things yourself forever, but why wait? Like, why, why be in this position where it's like, man, if I just had this, I could do this. When really you could start building, putting those blocks together to get to a certain place where maybe you can have something to manage and and somebody will uh, facilitate how to grow that. So all of those things were factored into like this concept of the pin game portfolio, because it was like, okay, uh, I'm doing the songwriting, I'm doing, uh, the sync licensing. Um, uh, I'm actually learning the process of pitching my music and actually going and forming relationships with agencies on my own. Now, like I'm not just, uh, creating music with, with, uh, that guy anymore and just letting him do it. So it's like, um, understanding contracts because now i have been in a situation where my contract was not the best, you know. Um, I had been seeing messed up contracts, but I wasn't in that position, you know. So now it was like, yo, y'all really got to pay attention. Like, because I saw it for myself, how um, had I not had access to uh, the attorney that I did, you know, uh, shout out to my girlfriend who was friends with this person because she looked out for me and didn't even charge me. Um, I could have been stuck mm-hmm. or at least I could have felt stuck. Because a lot, because a lot of uh, cases, um, people don't do anything because they don't know what they can do. Right. You know, it's kind of like being in a uh, kind of a, an abusive situation where you stay just because you don't know how to get out. You know. Um, so, all of those things factored into why uh, the ping game portfolio is so important to me because I feel like um, the world is really at our fingertips, literally, with like the the computers and. All of these different things, like there's so much potential, and it's only continuing to expand every day. Like, there's so many. Uh, one point I want to make is um, there's so many different platforms that are just popping up that are trying to get money from independent artists, um, which is also another thing that uh, made, like, expedited my process of getting the Pim Game portfolio together is because I started seeing people coming from other industries that had no history in music, but all of a sudden we're talking about how they could help artists get streams or get playlist opportunities. And I'm like, how are you going to do that when you, you're not even connected in this space. Right. But, you know, but for $200, they like, I don't care what I can do. You know, I'm going to put a booster on it. They're going to, the artist is going to feel good about it. And you know, it Does't matter if this runs out in five months, and people all say it's a scam. I'm gonna detach myself from this business and move on to the next thing. So I was like, nah, this can't this can't this can't keep going on i gotta I gotta at least attempt to counteract this
0: and what I find so commendable about that is in a lot of industries, and entertainment is a big one. people keep information close to the vest, and they they get on these platforms, like podcasts. And you ask them about their story and they're like, well, you just got to work hard. But if you work hard, opportunities will present themselves. right? they give these platitudes with no substance. And there's to me that that means that no matter how much money you've made, you're coming from a place of lack. If you feel the need to hold on to information that you mean that that tells me that you think that there is a limited supply. And if you open up this information to other people, that they're going to take food out of your mouth. And money out of your pocket, as opposed to how you've approached this in that there's a way for us to all get paid. There's Mm -hmm. a way for us to continue to circulate money within this ecosystem. And by me providing a knowledge share and information that I've gotten, I'm just bolstering this ecosystem, not, well, if other people are learning how to get placements, what does that mean for, you know, for me and my? I'm so
1: glad you said that. I'm so glad you said that. Cause like, there's a lot of people that, and I, I, I tried it for, a very short period, like going to some of these conferences and stuff, and that was always what you would hear, like like, man, some of these conferences cost five hundred dollars, a thousand dollars just to be there, and if that's all you're coming away from it with is like somebody telling you to work hard, you really didn't need to be there, you know? right? And it was like, man, uh, was, I'm so glad you said that because that, that also contributed to it as well. Like that was actually one of the reasons I started the Songwriter Social Club in 2019 was because i wanted to create an event where people could actually be transparent about their experience. So that was a that was such a great point.
0: Yeah, it drives me crazy and which is why i stopped going to a lot of conferences because i'm the person that's sitting there like my eyes are ready to just roll out of my head when people just provide this <laughs> this surface information that's really not helping anyone. Um and also you see people there who you know i used to work with this population so i know they may have spent their last and you see the 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 drive that they have, but also the desperation of like, I just want information. How do I get to the next level? And they're asking for people's contacts. Can I email you? And I already know that half these people that walk off the stage, they they might give you their card. The question is, are they going to respond? Right. So right. for you to, to be in a situation to like have gathered this information and done the work over a period of years and just pro- providing that to, to the, to the world, I mean, kudos to you, that you are definitely you. in the the minority there. Um, I do want to go back to uh, your the sync licensing and the work you've done in film okay. and television for a moment, just as like the music industry has evolved, television has evolved, digital streaming, all of those things. And the music has evolved as well. Like when I think back to to growing up and when you heard a hip hop track right in like TV or or film, it was so corny. It was always like, where did you get this from? Or even like a church scene. It was. You know, now in hindsight, I know nobody wanted to pay the licensing fees for like things that were (laughs) that sounded better. But it really we have entered into an era where like on a lot of shows it's as much about the music as it is everything else. And there are playlists developed from it and people talk about it um, as well. So what do you think really drove that shift where it went from like the, the music is just this necessary thing to now these curated uh, songs and curated tracks that are
1: played on shows? I attribute that a lot to Issa Rae. I'm mm. going to give her all the flowers um, because when Insecure hit the scene, the soundtrack hit people just as much as what the show was about and like the scenes, you know, the the music literally enhanced what was going on on screen. And I think up until that point, it was a lot of what you were just talking about, like, music that was just, like, placeholder stuff that was, like, I I, I distinctly remember um, when I first got into the sync license and before I even understood it, there was this movie that I watched and they had, like, this song that played throughout the whole film. It was, like, I'm like, who made this song? I'm like, this is terrible. I want to cut this movie off because of this song. <laughs> and I didn't understand why they used it or what it was at the time because I wasn't as aware of everything, but I just knew it turned me off. And I think once Issa Rae came in and, and actually used real music, like, because I think the first season, um, she had some pretty big artists that were like mixed in with like really talented independent artists. And I think once you in her position, once, once she paid like the licensing fees for, you know, an artist that we all know and love, it's like, do I want to go backwards Mm -hmm. in quality? Like, because I got a great song here and then the next scene is going to be some generic. No, we're not going to do that. So let's find more talent and, and usher them into the space. And I think that, well, I can't even say think, I know when she started, um, this company called radio, she's now the one that's curating a lot of the soundtracks for a lot of the stuff that, is coming out and we know and love today. Like so many people talk about the soundtrack for like Godfather of Harlem or, uh, I want to say, uh, like Queen and Slim and all of these different, um, uh, really impactful shows. And Issa Rae has been like behind the scenes with her hand in a lot of that to the point to where now even companies that, you know, have nothing to do with her, they kind of got to compete. Like, mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, we need authentic music. We need something that sounds real. We can't just keep going with this uh, this cheesy kind of stuff. Because, like, it's so crazy. I remember, I always talk about this. I remember back when I was a kid, I used to watch the Jamie Foxx show. You know, he worked at the hotel and he also worked at Jingles 2000. And they made the, the jingle industry look so bad, you know, to where I didn't even, like, when people used to say, like, When I first told people I was in sync licensing, they were like, oh, yeah, so you're working on jingles. I was like, don't you ever say I'm working on jingles. Like, (laughs) I do not work on jingles. (laughs) But now it's it's becoming like more acceptable to where it's like, okay, that is still real music.
0: That's great. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're right. It's now people are literally talking about the music as much as they talk about the show. And. For now, thinking back myself, it really started with insecure. That that's absolutely when it happened. It's like cultural. The show was a cultural phenomenon, and Issa and her the way her career has gone, absolutely is. Um, but not even thinking about to your point, these other entities who have nothing to do with it, who are now like, okay, this is a value, and people are talking about, it. and you know, there's all this stuff with social engagement now and all these other metrics. We now have to do the same. And that—that's an, I think, an important point to raise. In that, shifting the culture may mean investing in something that nobody else is doing, and just putting the money into and say, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna blaze a new trail." And when that catches fire, people have no choice but to catch up if they want to keep doing the same. Yeah,
1: because it Um, had even it had even been a long time since you could even access the soundtrack of a show or a mm -hmm. movie, and and she came out and released. The soundtrack and made that important like an announcement like the soundtrack comes out on this day. you can get it here, you know, so that, that her her involvement is just like so important like i i I can't say enough like how much I appreciate her and shifting
0: gears yeah. describe a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day,
1: oh man, being extraordinary on an ordinary day i would I would probably have to put that on like back in those days, trying to get to some of those shows. Um, I remember going to to North Carolina, going to Charlotte and um, me and my cousin were on the way out there. And I think we miscalculated how much time it was going to take. There, we were like, Oh, we get there probably like four hours or something like that. So we left late where we could have got there probably with time to, to spare left late. And then I think something happened with his car. We got No, we, we, it was a freak accident. We ran over something in the road and it like popped his tire. And Louis literally like bounced up when he, when he hit it. So it was like, oh man, that ain't good at all. (laughs) So, (laughs) so then we had to like make sure his tire was good and like his car was like acting funny from that point. Like, like maybe what we had hit impacted something else in the car, but we still took it out there. And it was just like, then we had to like ride slow because we didn't, we didn't feel like pushing it to the limit. Like, man, we just don't need this thing to break down. If we, as long as we get there with within like 30 minutes of the show, I guess we'll be fine. Like, <laughs> and I, I would have to say that was an extraordinary moment. Cause like, I wasn't at I I wasn't at any type of position to be late. Like I wasn't headlining. I wasn't none of that important. So it was like, you show up late, or you miss this. Like you know, you messed up, and we we still made it happen.
0: And all those stories. I mean, you, you think I don't know if you think back on them with fondness, right? To earlier moments in your career that just sort of make you into the person that you you are. But I know for me, I have like those sentimental memories. Like it was really hard, but it's the makings of like that resilience to say, "I'm going to keep going, no matter what."
1: Yeah. Absolutely, like I, I look on all those memories uh, like fondly now. It's <laughs> well, not great when you're in it, but yeah, there's <laughs> a lot of like pressure, stress. But you know, looking back on those times, like we still talk about that stuff and laugh at it. Like, man, that was crazy. But we still, we still made it happen.
0: So, looking ahead in a perfect world,
1: what do you want out of your career? Um, that is a awesome question. Uh, What do I want out of my career? I think there's a lot that I want out of my career. But um, at this point, um, shifting focus, I just I just really want to be able to provide more opportunities. Mm. Um, So I want to continue to grow everything that I'm doing. But the, the end game is for it to like impact others, because like I said before, I don't feel like I'm so special that other people can't do the same things. But um, just even with the pin game portfolio, like I get so many like messages of, man, thank you so much for making this. This is information that I needed. I've been looking for something like this. And just like even with the sync licensing and the money and stuff that may come from it. I think those are the moments that fulfill me the most is like knowing that I'm impacting people in a positive way and allowing them to find their own success. So I just want to continue doing that. Like I'm um uh, the Ping a portfolio is actually evolving from just like being an ebook series to um I'm actually creating my own publisher mm. through the Ping a portfolio because I want to be able to help artists get the same first experiences that I had with Soul Plus Mine and Joseph, where they kind of were like, hey man, you're great at what you do, but just come work with me you know, not obligated to like stay with us, not contractually bind it. whenever you feel like you want to move forward elsewhere elsewhere, that's fine. But just just give me a little bit of your time. Let's make something happen. And I just want you to see if you like the results. So that's kind of what I want the pen game portfolio to be on the publishing side is just to introduce artists to getting their first placements and I help them um to the to the degree of what they feel they need. Some people aren't going to ask for more than that. Some people are going to be like, okay, this is dope. Now, how do I do it? Mm -hmm. And I want to be able to tell them, you know? So ultimately I just want to continue to, to grow. I don't, I don't really look at this like a, a a phase or anything like that. This is like a a long-term play for me. I
0: love it. And and I love that you are setting a model for what a leader in this industry can be, as opposed to the predatory stories that we've heard, both from people who look like us and those who don't, where, you know, folks come into this business and feel taken advantage of, and they work and they give and they give and they give, and somebody else has gotten rich off of them. And, you know, they're not being able to generate income um, as well. They may have notoriety and no money, right? Or they may have had both at one point and now they don't. And so um, I'm really excited to see where you take this as well. And shout out to the folks that opened the door for you. And now you're able to to pay it forward. Um, it's just so unheard of to hear people walk with integrity in this right. space. So I'm glad we've been able to, to highlight your story. And I feel like this is a great place to wrap it up on. I've thoroughly okay. enjoyed this. And where can people find out more online?
1: Um, you can go to realjnolan.com and you'll be able to find out all the information about me. You'll get your information about the pin game portfolio and everything. Um, if you want to just shoot past that and go to the social media aspect, you can go to at realjnolan on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Instagram is probably going to be the best place or TikTok Cause like, you know, I provide content pretty much daily on those platforms. So, um, realjnolan.com and then at RealJNolan on, um, Instagram and Twitter. Perfect. Now to our listeners,
0: you know what to do. Uh, i talked to enough of you that I know many of you are into music uh, and figuring out how to get to the next level. So if you're interested in the resources that Jamar has out there, please go support what he's doing. Find him online, follow him on social media. We support our own around here. Continue to do that. If you've enjoyed this episode, tell somebody about it, like, Share, comment, and subscribe. And as always, remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delicia. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa, and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER.